Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. How are you? I'm good. I'm actually very, very excited about today because I feel like a college student who's come to class and I've done none of the supplementary reading this week. I am very much the novice because we are joined by our spectacular Akira Kurosawa expert and apparently samurai film expert in general, the wonderful Mr. Chris Lavery. How are you, Chris? Hi. Um, you're getting me confused with a different Chris Lavery, obviously, but uh, happy to be here. <laughs> and... Well, yeah, when we looked up um, Chris Lavery Samurai, um, we got like some LinkedIn, um, and it's like, is this him? I yeah, um, I thought I deleted that. That's meant to be uh, that's for a different thing altogether. Okay, yeah, he's so a samurai actually... jack of all trades. Hi, oh, and you hear the wonderful Mr. Phil Bagnall, who is our Masaki Kobayashi expert, who is joining us for this uh, conversation. Oh, no, 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 no. Do not call me an expert on Kobayashi or anything else to uh, re- relating to Japanese film. I'm, you, are, I, I, you are the man responsible for this conversation, no, Phil. You are the no, 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 man, like, no, you yes. have to blame the <laughs> yes, yes, we have to blame you. We have to blame <laughs> Phil. Okay, first of all, you can only blame the, two, the top 250 on the IMDb for any film. That you have to talk about. So, Secondly, like tens of and, thousands of people. Yes, <laughs> and I'm not one of them. Now, oh, all right. I feel like it's important to put this in context. Yeah, this you. conversation that we are about to have. So, yes, we are discussing today uh, the, as I suggested there, the um, the movie Harry Kari, um, directed by Masaki Kobayashi, the Japanese film director, originally released back Is in the Is it Harry Kari? Is that not the Chicago um, uh, Harakiri? Yeah, yeah. The fellow who used to announce um, games at Wrigley Field was called um, um, Harry Carey. And we Uh, have a we have a brutal uh, brutal reimagining of his life story, a biopic. (laughs) It's it's a very probing exploration. I think it touched on some very important issues. But yes, you are right. It is Harry Kiri. Apologies for that. Uh, also known as Seppuku. It's uh, easier to Japan. call it Seppuku. It's more traditionally in Japanese to call it Seppuku. So. Yes, and indeed there is actually a slight difference in that I believe Seppuku is the name of the ritual and Harakiri is the name of the process that by which the ritual is conducted. Uh, I believe that Japanese, and again this is just based on information I've ascertained from watching supplemental features on the Criterion Collection, but apparently the term preferred is Seppuku uh, and, uh, and Harakiri is used internationally, which may explain why it's called Harakiri internationally. But yes, it was released in Japan in 1962. It premiered, it uh, was released at the Cannes Film Festival in 1963, where it won a special jury prize. It lost out on the Palm Door to the Leopard. It made a surprise entry on the IMDb back Did in Did you say Oco- you didn't in- do your homework, Darren? <laughs> I have not done my homework. I, I'm the amateur this is, here. This, he is, all says this, this is just what you week. got from watching the movie. I mean, I mean, this all sounds like padding to me. I mean, this is just terrible material. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cannes Award, director's name, blah, blah, blah. Anybody could get this information. But yes, to, to bring it back Isn't to what Sep- Phil discussed. Sep- Seppuku is the current uh, announcer for the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Fenway Park. Um, sorry. Um, uh, Sep, and Seppuku. Sep, Seppuku. Yes, Sep-uku. and I like the fact that you're sticking with that. You were acknowledged the uh, the correct pronunciation of the local term, and that you said Fenway Park, <laughs> <laughs> which is so far more sensitive than anything I've actually managed to say. But yes, yeah, um, the reason. Th- 
People are very confused about what movie we're covering. <laughs> we're yes, talking yes, about we <laughs> Harakiri, aka Seppuku, and just on the off chance that any native <laughs> Japanese or Japanese speakers are listening, right? we apologize. <laughs> oh. All right. So to give a sense of context for this conversation, the reason oh, why I was dear. blaming Phil is that this is a movie that has been on the IMDb 250 a couple of times over the years. It was featured very early on, around about 2006, 2007, but then was removed as voting restrictions were put in and more votes were required to be featured on the list. It then made a re-entry around about 2000, December 2011. When it came in and it slowly climbed, it made to a high of 182 in June 2012, when again voting restrictions were were, uh, were applied and as a result it was dropped from the list because it had fewer than 25,000 votes. It gradually over the course of the ensuing um, eight years or sorry not eight years the seven years managed to accrue the necessary quarter of a hundred thousand votes uh, to qualify for this list. In fact I actually was watching this slowly gaining votes watching for it to come into the list because it came in quite high. It finally crossed 25,000 votes in August 2019 when it entered the list at the phenomenally high position of 29. And over the ensuing um, two years, it has only dropped three places to number 32. This is the 32nd best movie of all time. Now, I have been waiting for an excuse to talk about this because it is technically a new entry and we like to cover new entries as they come in. Uh, but it was Phil who provided the impetus for this conversation. It's not your fault, Darren. <laughs> It's not your fault. <laughs> Phil happened to mention that he had watched this movie uh, late last year in quarantine. And so I decided it would be a nice opportunity to have a conversation about a movie that I had wanted to watch and wanted to talk about because it was striking to me that it came in as high as it did, so late as it did, uh, when it did. And then Feeding I reached out naturally. Yeah, feeding my listomania. And so I reached out to our, our wonderful uh, expert in the films of Akira Kurosawa. I said, look, Chris, Again, this I'm, isn't I'm, in your comfort zone. I'm Noma. I'm, I'm just putting it out there right now. Anyway, sorry. Look, Chris, Don't name I said a brand, this... Chris. Yeah. <laughs> like, we tell said... people all the time that you're an expert. <laughs> yeah, th- it's really our reputation now tied up okay, in yours. It's like, we're, we're all it's invested like in this. An expert. Don't screw this up, Lavery's. Um, <laughs> it's a sweet thing we got going here um, but no so I, I reached out to our Akira Kurosawa expert Chris Lavery and I said look Chris I know that you're an Akira Kurosawa expert by trade I know that's where you feel most comfortable but like I generally you've talked to us about samurai films you've talked about us like Yojimbo Seven Samurai um, you've talked about Sanjuro would you feel comfortable coming on to talk to us about this Mazaki Kobayashi film and Chris said well you're really lucky because I'm not just an Akira Kurosawa expert, and I'm really glad that you guys are finally recognizing that. I'm actually an expert in post-war Japanese cinema, and I would love to talk to you about Tokyo Story and Ozu um, if we get the chance. So we will be, we're delighted to expand Chris' repertoire, and he will be coming back later in the year to talk about Tokyo Story. But yes, Phil, you are the first of the four of us to see Harakiri. What was it that drew your attention to it? Why did you watch it? And what was your immediate response to it? Um... It was, uh, well, I suppose it's typical these days. Uh, most reason I want to see it, uh, it was on the list. God love Mizaki Kobayashi. He's not a director whose rep is as extensive outside Japan as the likes of Kurosawa or Ozu or Mizuguchi or anyone else you came to name. But I saw this on the list. And I thought, well, we must get to that sometime. And then a couple of years down the line, I was going through my Blu-ray collection and I noticed that 
without having linked the two, I had actually picked up a Blu-ray copy of Harakiri. And uh, I I didn't realise it was the one... That I, it was just one of these uh, series, uh, the Eureka Masters <laughs> of Cinema series that I was filling a few gaps in. And I picked it up and threw it on. And this was what? Maybe late, late summer last year. And blown away. Absolutely phenomenally blown away. In a way that I haven't been by a film that I've seen for the first time in a very long time. And uh, once I remembered that it was on the list and that it was going to have to be talked about at some stage, I said, I want a piece of that action. And I'm sure I won't adequately convey my passion for it today, but I'll do my best. Especially next to a Kurosawa expert. <laughs> and, this is going on my And this is, this is why kind of like I reach out. To, this is why kind of like... This is why I kind yeah, of like I I can I'm the amateur here today because like I you know say that, once... that but you always do your homework and I'm sure you'll have done just fine. So I can... don't don't give us that. And it, like that, sorry that that is morbid, but I, I'd like to imagine like a really large tombstone <laughs> with like tons of stuff on it. And by the way, it says like it mentions nobody else. <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't say like but but. Um, Beloved father of, uh, <laughs> beloved husband too. It no, it'd be good like, if it was a massive you know. tombstone, but it only said Kurosawa Expo, and there was room for other stuff, but there was just none there. <laughs> yeah, Are you, yeah, and you're you're not dead either. Like you, you you've just paid for this tombstone. This is a plaque outside his front door. Here resides Kurosawa Expert. Yeah, I've commissioned yeah, one I mean, of those like blue a blue plaque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't really enjoy a tombstone after you're dead, so you might as well get mileage exactly. out of it while exactly. you're still going. Really. Coffee I mean, table that's, that's inside the, the, the living room for now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, put out an APB for the for useless art duo. Better start with uh, with Greek town. Um, but yes, so and actually, like this is one of the things where we're going to talk about me having not done my homework. I know that Phil, you were so inspired by actually watching Harakiri that you went back and you jumped into Kobayashi's filmography because, as you mentioned, he is a renowned and respected Japanese film director. He's maybe not as respected as say Kurosawa or Ozu, but he's he's had a kind of a, a reputation that has grown in recent years. So I know you went back and you watched a bunch of of his movies. Anybody who has even a passing knowledge of Japanese cinema will be familiar with some of Kobayashi's work. Um, uh, he directed uh, Kwaidan, which is probably the yes. most famous Japanese horror that isn't Ringu. And, um, or uh, Haosu. Or Haosu. Oh, <laughs> oh, God, I remember seeing House on a big screen. It, what an audition. I love that like I love that the three or two of us are just jumping down Phil's okay, throat. Okay. It's like he made a broad statement. Let's get him. Anyone who has a passing knowledge <laughs> of Japanese cinema will notice. I've heard of Japanese movies. I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> Wait, have you heard of Kwaida? No. We'll come to why Andrew has done more homework this week. We'll, we'll come to why Andrew's done more homework this week in a moment. Um, but to get back to Phil, sorry. Oh, no. We were talking about like renowned and respected, if not the only Japanese horror movie ever made. One of the great I'm Japanese horror with Kobayashi, movies. Kobayashi, I should say. Oh, sorry, from from the usual suspects. I'm, I'm just waiting for uh, Andrew to say, I'm familiar with Kobayashi and proceed to make a usual suspects joke. <laughs> Am I on a delay? <laughs> 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 you know, considering the subject matter of Harakiri, I'm amazed we're laughing so much. Um, but it's good; it's all good. Um, yeah. So he, uh, 
so he's also made um, a couple of other uh, samurai movies, most notably uh, Samurai Rebellion. And uh, besides Quiet on Harakiri, the work he might be best known for is the Human Condition trilogy, which I've also recently, very recently actually, uh, watched for the first time. And um, and even though as I... To put this in perspective, the Human Condition trilogy is three three-hour movies that comprise a study of Japan's involvement in the Second World War, yeah. following a character through not only the experience of Japan Japan fighting the war and like the systemic oppression within the Japanese armed forces, through to the Russian intervention and occupation towards the end mm-hmm. of the war, and all the gravity and weight that that implies over nine hours. All of so it. just to put it yeah, in context, it's, it's, uh, it's light. It's a oh, yeah. breeze. It's a breeze. Like, it, joking it, aside, it's it's a tough watch. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it, but and so, so like, do, does does this director specialize in tedious movies? Like, oh, or... is somebody laying out his cards a little early? <laughs> no, I, I mean, like, aside from this nine-hour slog, like, has he done any other? Um. Well, Quite On is famously three hours long. Um, Quite mm. On is one of those movies that Darren loves, which is the moment where a director who has no business getting a budget that he did gets a huge budget and complete creative freedom and makes whatever's inside his head and it's glorious and nobody understands it and he never gets to do it again. <laughs> so, like, Quite On is, like, oh, sweet yeah. spot for Darren, like, as, like, in terms of... You don't like June as much as I do, though. Um, right. <laughs> fair point. Very, very fair point. Like, not uh, even Netflix will let uh, uh, Lynch do something like that again. Um, that, that's a very, very fair point. <laughs> so, sorry, we we cut you off, Phil. But yeah, so your it's your experience right. of Kobayashi's kind of filmography and like watching yeah, like I've only, the Human Condition, watching Quiet On, watching Samurai I've, Rebellion, and watching this. So I've only really watched what are probably his five most famous films: Parakiri, Quiet On, and the Human Condition trilogy. Um, but there how already have a rep that precedes them. I mean, Human Condition Part Two was so good that Kubrick loosely remade it as Full Metal Jacket. Um, but it, across the nine hours, it does cover so much of the overall war experience that Japan had, nay suffered. Um, and it's intense. And it was it was funny. The first time I watched Harakiri, I thought, "Wow, this is." This is heavy, but it's good. It's so good. And then when I rewatched it today for this, having just finished the Human Condition trilogy, I thought, this is a breed. <laughs> um, it was, yeah. Context, it, it makes all the difference. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'll am i be keen to, I'm very keen now to hear what everybody else thought of it. Um, but yeah, that's that was my experience. Um. And actually, we should point out one of the things about uh, this is that it's not necessarily readily available in the UK and Ireland. Um, I had to get in touch with Chris early about organizing this because you had to organize. Oh, you had to order that Eureka Blu-ray that matches uh, Phil's. Um, so before we get on to Andrew, because Andrew has actually done some very interesting homework this week. Andrew is the <laughs> most qualified host talking about this particular movie uh, this week. So we're going to come back to that in a second. But Chris... What was it like sitting down and, and watching Harakiri? Had you any knowledge of it beforehand, any experience or, you know, what and, and kind of like, what was it? What was it like your experience just watching it? Letting it kind of having heard what you'd heard about it or having not heard what you hadn't heard about I it? I was coming from it from a very kind of a, um, didn't know about it 
her, you know, vague name recognition really, you know, wasn't familiar with Kobayashi or his other stuff really. Um, so came to it very, you know, very blankly. But um, I thought it was superb. Um, it 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 was just. Um, it just stood out as something I hadn't seen before in this sort of um, genre. Um, and, you know, if, you know I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, it wasn't, wasn't tedious per se, but um, I, was, I, was, I was kind of hooked in very early and I thought it was beautifully made. And, um, yeah, I loved it. And, yeah, I would, I would certainly use it as a springboard into his other stuff. Um, and I mean, we'll probably talk a bit more about like what it is. It's been described as the anti-samurai epic. In fact, then Kobayashi himself has said that when this was made in 1962, he was looking at what uh, Kurosawa was doing over at Toho Studios. And he was working on, and you've talked about it uh, with us before, he was working on Yojimbo, he was working on Sanjuro. And I mean, like, I think those are slightly deconstructionist samurai films. I think they're closer to the spirit of, say, Sergio Leone than they are to John Ford. This is arguably much further than that this is basically sam peckinpah in terms of like samurai films but before we get into that andrew i think you came to this film in a very interesting way and you've done a lot of research uh, a lot of work on this you've looked at this film from one particular angle that i think we really need to talk about what was your experience like sitting down and watching harakiri for the first time well i care about our listeners darren so um so i watched um uh 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 to to Takashi Mika's um or, or Mika Takashi's um uh, version of 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 this movie the remake and um I decided to keep it interesting by watching it before watching this um listeners <laughs> <laughs> cannot see Phil's face but it is beautiful <laughs> I was so upset um and i was like why <laughs> why are we watching andrew, this andrew charged into the group chat having watched this with none of us none of us having any context for why andrew was so angry but andrew was basically like whose fault is this who yeah. did this which of you is responsible to which my response was this is a podcast about the imdb if there is anywhere that you could get information to dis to discern which movie you were supposed to freaking watch have we met have we met phil oh, <laughs> like, yeah. you know come on like yeah, I'll, I'll give you that i'll give you that you are you i am the audience or no i'm not the audience i'm i'm the audience that we could have people who know nothing about movies well if anybody's listening now you'll know better <laughs> i, I yeah. like when i was talking with phil and i was talking with chris i was very careful to say the 1962 version the black and white version and when i was talking to my co-host andrew i was just like yeah harry curie the one that's on the imd 250 and well hey <laughs> you think that i like um watched the the that that sorry i mean i mean my most of my i don't even know where the 250 is most um, of my involvement with the, the podcast is is keeping up our twitter page um, <laughs> but like aside from that kind of like most of that information comes from text from you you're just here um, every week that's all <laughs> yeah. in body so at least um and the yeah, thing okay is, yeah. um, i am here Miyaki. okay and i'm dressed and, thank um, heaven for that like, <laughs> I can attest to that. So, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So uh, um, the funny thing is, I haven't seen Miyake's remake, but it is relatively well regarded. But then again, he also did uh, Thirteen Assassins, which is a kind of take on the Seven Samurai, and I didn't care for that. It's good, and I mean, it looks great. Um, You're just peeved that uh, you didn't watch the right one. No, I watched the no, right one. No, it's also as well. very much a, a uh, Mayak film, as as far as I can yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's the the it's the mean spiritedness of the 21st century. I guess it's like it's like, but I don't know. I, I, I guess it's not just in the last 21 years that it, things became this way. But I, I was like, why did somebody make this? What, what, like, what, what, what have we done to this person that that they that they felt like we deserved this? Um, <laughs> like, it wasn't a badly made movie. It was just so mean spirited. And I was, I, 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 <laughs> like, you know, it's a, a movie about uh, killing oneself. I hope that doesn't spoil anything. I don't think it does. <laughs> um, but, um, but uh, but, you um, thought, but you thought the film was was mean spirited. Ah, welcome to the world of Miyaki-san. Yeah, but it it's one of those um uh what 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 do you call it when uh, um something is um is it autodidactic or what's the word for when something is um what an example of an example of, of yeah, yeah yeah so like it's a movie about killing um about a character killing um. Uh, himself or uh, maybe attempting to kill himself um and it feels like and it feels like you're you're meant to like at the end of the movie <laughs> um commit uh, ritual seppuku um <laughs> but um but uh, no 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 the, 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 it's a rough movie is what i mean um yeah 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 and like um and I was not looking forward to talking about it because I was like, oh God, how are we going to talk about this? It's going to be very dark. I'm, I'm, I'm going to like have to try to kind of, um, say something funny and it's going to be terrible because it would, it would be like two hours of, 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 of just what I've, what, what, like the, the last thing I've said. So, so um, Andrew, <laughs> you really felt gutted, did you? Oh, I did. Uh-huh. Hey. It begins. Oh, it begins. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is worth noting, actually, to, to be fair, this is kind of an interesting discussion, because, I mean, it is worth noting that Mike's um, a version of, of Harakiri... It's pretty uh, it brutal, also, but, but, it, but it's... Yes. Again, who'd have thought? But it also premiered at Cannes, um, hmm. and it also, I believe, was the first film to show in competition at Cannes in 3D. There's a piece of trivia for for everybody listening at home. Um, But actually, this this kind of gets back to something I I do think is kind of interesting, because it's it's odd that this movie from 1962 should come into the list now and should seem to be in public conversation now. I'm wondering what it is that kind of brought it back in, because I know that there was a surge around 2011, which was when the remake was released, when Criterion released a restored version of it. And there's been a bit of discussion. I've seen, like, looking at reviews, a lot more coverage of it around about 2019-ish. So I'm wondering, like, it, it just seems strange that it should suddenly be a film that people are paying attention to more than 50 years after it was originally released. I suspect that there's no good reason for it. Yeah. Like the, I, the, the, I was hoping you would have one, Darren, in your usual I, position as I chief have, homework like, doer. The, the, what we normally do on the podcast is we suppose 
some grand <laughs> like um kind of societal reason why this has come back into the like with no basis we'll say like yeah, no um, basis we we look at the um, unemployment numbers over these years and we can see <laughs> that like it's a direct correlation so obviously like the, that that's kind of affecting the way people think about unemployment and they're seeking out movies about um about the the uh, Takagawa shogunate um uh, as as a way of kind of um you know getting some 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 insight on this human condition i, um, I, I don't is mean, that I, why darren <laughs> <laughs> i don't well. have an answer i don't have an answer i do think like it's notable that it did come into the list in 2011 it did actually have a big surge on the list in 2011 and then dropped out when they changed the criteria so i do think that the 2011 criterion release and the remake pushed it into public consciousness i don't know what did it in 2019 uh, and i'm wondering if anybody else has any theories didn't something happen to the list was that the year that jaws disappeared <laughs> yeah, there's a big. That was the year when the when Darren, yeah. uh, well, it underwent what Darren calls the purge, and there's a big shift of the rules and the algorithms yeah. there. Yeah, and then Harry Kiri came in. So yeah, okay. Well, then I guess that's that answered with. <laughs> All right then. So, <laughs> well done, Andrew. Um, so three questions to get us started before we jump into the spoiler zone. Uh, Chris, gonna ask you to start us off. That <laughs> that Bruce the Shack. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? that Harakiri belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies of all time, and at number 32. Ooh, yes, I do. 32 is, is surprising, but I think, it, I think it deserves to be up there. Um, and Phil, what about yourself? Yes. Um, when you watch a movie for the first time, you don't think you're going to love it that much that you think it should be in that contention, but most definitely I would put it in there. And and Andrew, do um, you did actually watch the nineteen sixty two version of Adventure? I did. I, did. I, okay. I, was, I was afraid. Of that. <laughs> yeah. I watched both. Um, it, it's kind of, kind of like like it's not exactly shot for shot, but um, it's pretty much the exact same movie. Um, with with like a few um artistic choices differently, so it was difficult for me to separate them. I did appreciate things that um um that um that Kobayashi had omitted from from his version of movies. There are some things that happen off screen, um, um that 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 I was glad um weren't um in 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 this. Um, and which he may have storyboarded drunk, but we'll come back to later. Oh dear! Um, <laughs> can we not? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, maybe no. Yeah, I I guess um, the sick twists who listen to our podcast might want to hear that, so <laughs> we can include it later. Do I? Th- Sorry, I've listened to this podcast and I noticed that it takes me a very long time to say whether it should be under two two fifty. Um, no is the answer. Is that the question you asked me? <laughs> that is that is the question I asked you. Um, and okay, so just a no, just a just a no. I don't think it should be. No, no. I I I think I think there's lots of. Um, I mean, there there's there there there's there's maybe. Um, I mean, what 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 would the argument be? For or against? Would it would it would it be to 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 kind of have um, more um, uh, uh, Japanese directors on the list aside from Kurosawa? 
No, I think it belongs there on its own terms, on its own merits. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't put in any film that I thought didn't belong there. So right. this is this is in there purely because it's that good. Yeah, and but like, is is it is it the? Um, I mean, I mean, we'll have to ask Chris about this, who's an expert on <laughs> Japanese cinema. But is, is is it the best example? Kind of like, um, is it does it belong to be? I I, I guess should be number thirty four. Sorry, I'm doing this. Thirty two. It's grumpy. <laughs> look at Andrew. Look at Andrew's like, yeah. Look at Andrew's like, thirty four is reasonable, but thirty two. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So our so as our expert, uh, Chris. Uh, well, <laughs> with my expert hat on, um, I just I I mean, I, I can't I can't get into the detail about you know the objective uh, uh, you know pros and cons of why it should be there because I just I as you know I don't do my homework for these things so purely from a. <laughs> subjective point of view um i was just drawn into it very quickly um yeah it's subject matter is um very dark uh, but it it just i you know i, I just I, I really was taken with it and i thought it was um i thought it was excellent it, you know you know but you could you could probably, you could probably see where it was going a lot of the time but uh, i just thought it was just a great example and yeah, stick it in the two fifty. Sure, why not? <laughs> and, and for myself, I'm going to put a maybe. I'm going to hedge on this because I had not seen this before this week, so I haven't had time to properly situate it. I think if Andrew was saying like, "What is the big argument?" Ignoring like Phil's because I say so and it's worth it, um, like L'Oreal because it's worth it. I think if you were making an argument for uh, Harakiri being there, I think the point you make about like representing Japanese directors who aren't like Hayao Miyazaki or uh, Kurosawa you know, has some relevance. I think the argument that, you know, representing samurai films that are not just Kurosawa's samurai films maybe has some basis. I think the fact that it is so incredibly cynical and brutal and deconstructionist probably has some merit as well because there's so many gangster films on there. There's so many cowboy films on there that do something similar. So maybe it's it's worth having a film on there from Japan that does something similar. On the other hand, I do think that there are a lot of samurai films on there, including Kurosawa's films. I, you know, again, I watched this and I watched Kaidan and part of me is wondering like would it not be more interesting maybe have Kaidan in there if only because that's a much more artfully film it's it's a much yeah. bolder film it's a much more vivid film um it, it's also something that we don't we don't have a lot of horror on the 250 we don't have a lot of you know Japanese horror on the 250 would that maybe be something that would be worth seeing in there I, I like I and then we'll get into this maybe when we talk about the movie itself I really like this movie a lot but I, I found myself wondering, what was it that everybody really loved? Like, Phil saw it the first time and was like, this is one of the best movies of all time. And sorry, not to put you on the spot, Phil, we'll do that out in the spoiler zone. So to prepare you for being put on the spot. But things like, you know, I, I was kind of looking at people having this immediate visceral reaction to it. And I was like, this is really great. But like, is it immediately grabbed me by the scruff of my collar? The greatest, one of the greatest movies of all time. And I didn't have that immediate reaction to it. So that's kind of like my hedging answer. I can see why it's there. I'm also wondering if, you know, why this is there and, and maybe not other stuff as well. And then second question then. So Chris, would it be on your own personal 250, having just watched it? Your own 250 favorite movies? Uh, oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, again, 
How does it rank in terms of, say, the, the Kurosawa films we've done, the samurai films that we've discussed I, together on the podcast? I enjoyed like, it a lot. Does this jump ahead of the pack? Or? I enjoyed it a lot in contrast to Kurosawa because, you know, it's it was... Like you say, it was, you know, there's a lot of samurai films on the 250R Kurosawa, so, you know, it was it was, it was was a bit of a gear shift, and I enjoyed that. Um, so I think purely for that, you know, point of view, it should be there as, as a kind of a point of contrast. Um is it you know what i think i think uh, you know it it like you said earlier it, it it is it is there on its own merits you know and, and i think i think it, it it makes a case on its own um and you know without having to be you know compared so much to kurosawa so much um yeah and and phil what about yourself having like watched it relatively recently last year is this on your own personal 250 your own personal 250 favorite movies ever well, it depends on what everyone's difference is between the IMDb top two hundred and fifty and their own two hundred and fifty. Um, I, I do like—I do quite like your hard line. The two hundred and fifty is my two hundred and fifty. There is no difference. Oh, there certainly is. <laughs> believe you me. <laughs> um, but um, what about on my own two hundred and fifty? Um, well, it's not something I would settle down to watch for, uh, for pure enjoyment. But it is one film where I am still in awe just of its technical achievements and how it's made and how affecting its relatively simple storyline is. So just on how it's made, how it's constructed, on that basis alone, the the cineast in me would, yeah, I'd put it on my own personal list. Um, And Andrew, would it be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favourite movies? This question is kind of like, because um, I'm trying to make sense of it too, Phil. Um, I, no, think, <laughs> I think it's... You've only been um, asked it how many times now? If Yeah. If you were asked to create a list of the top 250 movies and everybody has, uh, everybody sees this and judges you for your choices, like what the, that's the first question. And then the second question <laughs> is, what if only you see it? Yeah. Um, but it's it's also kind of based on the premise that nobody listens to this. So, like, what are your top two hundred and fifty movies? <laughs> well, if you're convinced <laughs> nobody listens to this, then who cares? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, like, okay, so like Tim Burton's Batman Returns would probably make my own personal two fifty, but I don't think it would make like the two hundred and fifty best movies yeah, ever. Yeah, and made. similarly, that the, for example, the first um, Batman would be on my uh, top two fifty, but I can see why it wouldn't be on. <laughs> Like uh, the uh, two fifty, would this be on my two fifty? No, it it it, 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 it absolutely won't. But uh, like like it 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 has it has more of a right to be on um, the two fifty than my two fifty because yeah. I I can I can see um, the um, that while I did not uh, care for it, it um, it 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 has it has quality. So like like it, it, so so you've just proven that there is a valid difference between the two questions just after all that griping. Like you've just accepted yeah, I, on the basement. I, I, I described the difference. I said like like if 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 I had to if I had to create a list where everybody uh, uh, sees how kind of. Um, how much of a cinephile I am? How cultured? Movies. Yeah, yeah. I might <laughs> put this on the list. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. All right, and for me, probably not. Um, again, I generally like to sit with movies for a while before I even consider them for my own personal two hundred and fifty, and I haven't had that chance yet. And then, final question before we jump into the spoiler zone, Chris. 
If listeners have not yet seen Harakiri, the 1962 Kobayashi version, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, stream it on Criterion if they're in the United States, or order a Blu-ray to their home if they're in the UK? Um, I would, yeah. Like, it's like, you know, Phil said, it's, it's not something you're going you're gonna to pick up on a breezy Saturday evening to just throw on, you know, and have on in the background. You know, it's it's intense. and uh, But I think... Um, I think, I think no. I think it's. I think it is. It is. It is worth a watch. I think it's. It's. Yeah. Do it. Definitely. <laughs> and Phil, having recommended to the other three people on this podcast by default, would you recommend that the listeners pause the podcast and watch Aragiri? I feel like I'm taking a lot of heat here. Um, <laughs> like, it's mostly Andrew's heat. Like, like Chris well, really loves it, you, and I really you, like it. You um, are dogpiling. <laughs> Um, uh, Darren, um, like you're, 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 you've, you've, um, how am I dogpiling? I, I, I don't think that you actually blame Phil. I think this is I all do about race. I was joking. <laughs> are you saying that the more I'm painted as the villain, the better the ratings it's, are? It's I'm drama, like, yeah. it's podcast you, drama, really. You it gets the listeners all riled up. when? <laughs> You are our thrice most uh, successful guest. I'd say I still haven't got one piece of fan mail yet. That's because I'm hoarding it all. Um, I none have of it was your appropriate. Here if you want me to read it on the air, <laughs> um, but, so it's too. But, uh, okay, Phil. Back to the question that I asked. That narrows it down. <laughs> um, well, yes, people should watch Harakiri. I, I mean, it has. It should have got quite a a bit of a rep now, having been on the two fifty for x amount of time, um, and it deserves to be there. And if it encourages more people to do it, I am all for it. So please go watch it. All right, and Andrew, what about yourself? You should check on Monday to see if you have any fan mail. Uh, oh, goody! Um, so <laughs> I um, let me see. Um. Andrew, Would like Spike Lee, accidentally tweets Chris's yeah. home address. Um. <laughs> From the 250. <laughs> it's the perfect crime. Oh, uh, look, a parcel bomb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I Andrew, would you recommend listeners pause the podcast and watch, say, either the 2011 version no, no, or the no, 1960? No, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, I mean, maybe watch the 2011 version. But I wouldn't recommend anyone watch the 2011 version. Do watch this version, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, be, because like, like, see if you agree with me or not. I think that I got soured on this movie because I watched because the of wrong Takashi Miyake. <laughs> because of Takashi, yes. Um, and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. It is it is very dark. It is very heavy, as Chris said. It's maybe not one that you kind of like drift in and out of, kind of looking for a pick-me-up Sunday night movie with a it's, bunch of popcorn not, and a, a soft it's drink. It's a second date but, movie. I'll put it that way. Nor a, two, nor a 200th date movie either. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, um, I, I, like, like after after like 199 dates, kind of two it uh, a, a bad movie date on the 200 date isn't going to be like you know a a deal breaker, right? There are worse things. Yeah, a yeah. deal breaker. You, you maybe try you, this you for the next yeah, 200 you, date. Um, but see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, All right. So I I would recommend it actually because it. <laughs> 
because it, it is it is a gorgeous movie to look at. It's wonderfully well constructed. If you're interested in samurai films at all, it's well worth a look. If you're interested in post-war Japanese cinema, it's well worth a look. It does some interesting things. It deals with some heavy themes. And, you know, as a gateway to Kobayashi, I am nowhere near the expert Kobayashi that Phil is. I've not watched nearly as much of his filmography as Phil has. Uh, Five. But, like, what if, Five. I, I know, I've watched two. So I think you're well ahead of me. Um, five being greater than two. Darren did Technically, do his homework on that. Technically, the other three that I have watched are one nine-hour movie. How many Harakiri movies? What are you- <laughs> 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 That's a fair point. Um, but yes, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. I do think it is worth seeking out. And I'm really glad that it's getting the audience that it is. I'm really glad that it's performing as well as it is. I'm glad that to see people talking about it and engaging with it and loving it in the way that they are. And again, I, I'm happy to kind of spread the word. And with that in mind, then we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Phil. Hi. What what is Harakiri about for you? Uh, Harakiri, it's... (laughs) And that's about the extent of my Japanese. Arigato. Um... So what's it? It's very much in keeping with the themes that Kobayashi explored in the human condition. It's a not so veiled critique of Japanese exceptionalism post World War Two. Uh, so the film itself concerns a a, a Ronin played by a human condition star uh, Tatsuya Nakadai. He's very much the kind of uh, Toshiro Mifune to Kobayashi's uh, Kurosawa, or the De Niro to his Scorsese. They they collaborated quite. Who wore it better? Good comparison. They they made about uh, twelve films together. Yeah, and keep in mind Kobayashi only made twenty films in total, because so that's a pretty good um, yeah inning. Good good uh, good innings. Um, so in this role, he plays uh, Sugumo, who is a masterless Ronin uh, who arrives at the local. Uh, shogunus uh, requesting to commit an act of seppuku to slice himself open uh, to uh, re- in order to uh, defend his honor. This is becoming a problem for the shogunate because uh, it's happening a lot recently and they find that they have to bribe the people who want to commit uh, suicide uh, in their grounds. They, they have to bribe them to go away. It's becoming a ploy uh, in order to get money. And once uh, once he arrives and is offered uh, and is told that he won't receive any money, Sugumo says, I have no intention of taking any money. I want to do this. I want to die. And from there on, uh, Harakiri becomes a slow burn uh, kind of critique of this mindset that drive that drove people to commit this act. Uh, it's a, it's something that's born out of sheer desperation to do something like this. I mean, you feel that you have nothing left of your honour to just want to die. Um, where does that impulse come from? Why would anybody do that? And what Kobayashi does with his script uh, is tell a story behind tell the story behind uh, Sugumo's actions and we learn that it's something far more tragic than just a loss of honour. It's a loss of everything that's important in his life. And it's a result of this very narrow, very rigorous 
and very cruel way of life, the uh, the samurai way of life. It's a it's a critique of the of their code, the bushido, and that's of course a tradition that goes back in Japan centuries. Um, but Kobayashi, who was a dedicated pacifist, um, he felt that there were still elements of that alive in Japan right up to when he made this film. And so by exploring it in this way, he he basically called it out. He says that Japan is being fueled by a certain kind of self-sabotage uh, in its need to kind of preserve its honour. Uh, it's it's just undermining its own efforts to uh, uh, to achieve some kind of peace and growth. Yeah, and a couple of things to unpack there, actually. The the first thing is that Harakiri in particular, the practice, um, or, or seppoku, only really rose to prominence during the 17th century, which is when this is set around about 1630. Um, however, it was practiced uh, even into the 20th century, um, particularly in the wake of the Second World War. You had a number of kind of high-profile instances, um, like uh, Hideyoshi Obata, for example, uh, who committed seppoku um, after the Allied victory at Guam, and... You, you know how seppuku is. Uh, sorry, I'm probably I'm pronouncing it wrong as well. But what what uh, it? Sorry, sorry. I'm okay. I'm, apologies. I'm, I'm being no, no, no. He, no. he committed I, I ritual suicide. I'm, apologies. I'm, I'm I'm sorry. No, the, you're you're not the one who should be sorry, Darren. No, I, I um, know I am. I'm, I'm wrong anyway. But but the point is that you. This is also your your apologies are very honourable, uh, gentlemen. <laughs> um, but like towards the end of the Second World War, you had officers who were committing this ritualized suicide um, as the the battle was or as the course of the war was turning against Japan, and it was being conducted. Obviously, like even years after They're all this, committing and again, Sudoku. Okay, oh okay, dear! Okay. There's a. I was going to say uh, there's a memorable depiction of an act of ritual suicide actually in a Letters from Iwo Jima, the Clint Eastwood film, uh, where the Japanese instead of surrendering, uh, they just pull the pins out of their own grenades and let them blow up. Um, but there you have it in the 1940s. I'm sure that many instances of that occurred. Uh, but it's born of the same idea of the Japanese being dishonored, and they would rather die than experience that. Yeah, and I mean, like, obviously, like, there's the most famous example, like, eight years after this was released, uh, of Mishima. And again, we'll, again, we talk about Andrew having done his research for this podcast as well. I believe Andrew may also have watched Paul Schrader's Mishima as well, covering that. And so the idea is that, like, this. I did. Maybe it will be in my recommendations. (laughs) Maybe it won't. We'll keep you in suspense. Maybe it won't. Yeah. We'll see. you, you do have this argument that that culture, you know, was not just a historical one. It was very much still alive in Japan um, as Kobayashi was making these movies. And it's worth noting as well, like, just a little bit of backstory on Masaki Kobayashi. Um, he was born in February 1916 in the Hokkaido uh, province, basically. Uh, but he obviously served in the Japanese Imperial Army during the Second World War. Um, he was a pacifist, as Phil had mentioned. Um, and he actually refused the opportunity to become an enlisted officer, remaining at the rank of private. Um, and basically, along those lines, he kind of obviously experienced the suffering and harassment of the military, of the officer class, all of which was done as part of Bushido um, and that kind of honor culture that rose. And Kobayashi himself has kind of described the Second World War as the culmination of kind of human evil. And it's been argued that more than any other Japanese uh, film director, including obviously Kurosawa and including Ozu, uh, Kobayashi is the most aggressively critical of Japanese culture. And in particular, 
as Phil pointed out, that idea of Japanese exceptionalism and the myth of the honor culture that's built up around it. Because one of the big, big, big core themes of this, and why we described it as the anti-samurai epic early on, is because one of the core principles of Harakiri, and it's evoked in that like wonderfully striking opening and closing shots, um, well, like the film opens with these beautiful shots of a suit of armor uh, by the, I, and apologies for Mangley, it's the Ai clan, I think they're described, the House of Ai, um, but basically their suit of armor propped up representing their ancestors. At one point, uh, uh, the head of the household prays to guide, for guidance from it, but the opening shots of the film, the closing shots of the films are that suit of armor sitting there, empty, hollow, looking demonic, and at various points throughout the film, you have Kobayashi's camera drifting through these big open spaces, these, you know, households, but also even the courtyards outside the household, the stairways um, that are just generally empty or either only populated by one or two people at a time. Um, and you have this sense that the entire Japanese system of honor is just this big empty ornate suit of armor that doesn't actually mean anything doesn't have any human component to it at all and i think that's a, an interesting motif that runs through the film as a whole it's Sorry, like Andrew. the whole of japanese society is an overwrought metaphor uh, <laughs> and, and that it's it, it's 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 not just empty but also armor um no like the 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 the, the movie is um I guess, effective in getting its uh, message across. It just fell to me really on the nose. It's like, okay, I get it. Like, I got it immediately. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's almost like the opening shot of, 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 of maybe I've watched too many movies. <laughs> maybe I'm getting like yourself <laughs> and Jay. <laughs> uh, don't, don't watch the human condition in that case, because... <laughs> Like, it's nine hours of war is hell. Hell, war is. War is hellish. Yeah, hell I mean, I've, I've seen screenshots from the human condition. Yeah, I've seen screenshots from the human condition. And like, like, Phil points out, like, it was hugely influential in the films that followed. And I can kind of trace that back just looking at the screenshots, which is kind of interesting. Well, but like, I, I kind of do find something interesting in, the, in how lyrical and poetic it is and how kind of abstract and metaphorical and how it very explicitly frames all of its content mm. as metaphor and it has to and as well as that it's it, it's got something more universal just about critiquing overly zealous and potentially dangerous um uh, chains of command um because it it resonates universally it's got a it's got a new found rep outside of japan outside of the time in which it was made so clearly it has something that uh that tra that crosses barriers um it's it, it can mean a lot to many people in different contexts well i mean like kobayashi said like interviewed by joan mellon he made the point that in any era i am critical of authoritarian power in the human condition it took the form of militaristic power in harakiri it was feudalism they both pose the same moral conflict in terms of the struggle of the individual against society well i mean i i it it's it's a confusing sort well like because my 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 problem was with with it was that it was so kind of um on the nose and kind of obvious and but the, but and and that there wasn't like 
I, I felt like wa- watching it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the, like, I don't think I'll ever watch it again, so it would be difficult to know, but I don't feel like watching it again, there would be like hidden riches that I'll be able to explore and be like, ah. Oh. Um, Ten years from now, he's going to rewatch it and it's going to blow his mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like, and by that like, stage, we'll have covered all the movies on the list so we can do a second podcast on it. I'm yeah. sure about that. I felt like the the, mo- the most kind of relatable universal thing, and maybe it's not, um, but the to me it felt like um, the depiction of the kind of loss of dignity um, that 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 yeah. that one has from kind of like you know having a trade and um, and having kind of an identity through that and then losing that. They, they, like 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 um, like the van. Um, the, the, not really though. Like, like the, it's the same kind of story. Um, and I, I, I felt like I might have, um, maybe I'm basic, but I, I, th- I think I would have enjoyed the uh, the film more if it was about him making fans instead <laughs> of um, and umbrellas rather than. Uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, umbrellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, if he'd made umbrellas, he would have made a fan of you. Hey. <laughs> but what what about what about you, Chris? What what is what is uh, this about? What is Harakiri about for you? What does it speak to? What are the themes I, that resonate with you? What like your initial well, reaction? I agree to with it? Andrew's point there that it, it is on the nose. It's it, it it's it doesn't have you know you know an, an embarrassment of riches under the under the under the hood that you know would require repeat viewing. But I just felt that the message it was. Um, getting across was was very very well put together you know that kind of like that loss of dignity and and you know how um you know honor is used as a you know as a well they say it as a facade in in the movie and and kind of challenging that um that idea in japanese society i just thought it was i thought it was i thought it it, it was a well told albeit obvious story around those themes i mean i I think it has like the 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 idea of kind of metaphor or fairy tale like i I think the fact that it's it's very clear in what it's doing isn't necessarily a problem with it i actually really like that kind of aspect of taking something and rendering it as fairy tale by positioning it in history and i mean like at its core like for me what harakiri kind of was about was this idea of when you buy into something and it, it can be anything. It can be a system. It can be a way that the world is, the thing that you've been taught. This idea that you have, you know, uh, Sugomu Hanshiro, who, like, was a samurai and who is now, you know, 30 years into the Edo period. Like, it, it's only a couple of years after the Edo period's been established. I think he references that he fought a battle 16 years earlier. And since then, the samurai have been largely useless. They've been made redundant. And, like, one of the interesting things about Harakiri is that, like, they're not made redundant by, you know, like, desolution or by devastation or by, like, economic hardship or foreign invasion or the dissolution of the state. They're made redundant through triumph and victory. Like, Japan is, during the Edo period, more prosperous than, or at this stage during the Edo period, more prosperous than it had been for decades beforehand. There's a point where they say, not even the breeze rustles the leaves. Like, these samurai have been rendered redundant because the system has arguably worked so well that there's no need for them anymore. And the fact that this system that doesn't need them anymore has made no care for them, has made no place for them, has made no space where 
having done their service, they can actually continue to exist and clothe themselves and feed themselves. And the paradox of the idea that, like, Hanshiro, who is skeptical, like, Hanshiro is introduced, like, he's, when we meet him, he's not, like, hopelessly naive or romantic. He's not somebody who buys, like, entirely and unquestioningly into it, even in flashback. So, like, it's notable that, like, it's it's Janai who takes his own life, who does Harakiri. And it, it's Hanshiro who's convinced to know, stay on, live and take care of, you know, his surrogate son and his own daughter. Isn't the implication that Janai mightn't have, if he didn't think that Hanshiro would... And yeah. that he's 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 doing it to prevent Hanshiro from doing it. That he like is, and he does, it's not, he does it's not that Hanshiro um, isn't isn't kind of um, uh, doesn't Does, want to know, do it. Or, isn't sorry, buying in, into it. Yeah, sorry, it, it isn't any more kind of in, uh, um, yeah. He isn't more inclined, kind of. Um, but like even even later on you have kind of the the moment where like Hanshiro's like doing he's 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 kind of like designing the umbrella and you know his boss comes in and his boss is like well have you thought about the situation with your daughter we have this like house that would like to take her in and they'd like to make her one of their own and that would elevate your social status and you would buy into it and like Hanshiro there is smart enough and savvy enough to know that like this is just a facade this is a ruse they'll take her in they'll act like she's a member of the family for six months and then they'll pass her on as a concubine to some warlord somewhere who needs to be appeased and who needs a gift of a, a significant social status and he's wise enough to know that this is just how the world is and so he's not hopelessly naive which i kind of like he's not like blindly puppy dog eyes the bushido works the the way that japan is at the moment is perfect and i have no reason to question how it is but one of the things i really like is that even with that even with that cynicism and even acknowledging the way that like the real politic of how japan works at that moment in time you have that heartbreaking moment where like after his he, after his basic his his son-in-law has gone through this horrible thing we'll maybe talk about that in a moment but like he realizes that his son-in-law pawned his samurai sword and his dagger in order to pay for medical treatment or in order to help the family stay afloat and not that not that Hanshiro himself didn't sell his sword or made a choice not to sell his sword but that it never even occurred to him he never thought about it. He had bought into, like, the, the idea of the samurai code and the Bushido so much that, like, even as his family was starving and, like, sinking further and further into debt, it never even crossed his mind that he could sell the sword and get a bit of money that they could use to buy food or to see a doctor. I really like that aspect. I, I really like the way in which the film kind of gets at the idea that, like, when you buy into something like that, you don't even realize how much you bought in. Well, until do, do, sorry no that uh, if you uh, um i interrupted you darren well no i was just going to make the point that yeah the, the point the film makes that if if you've bought into the way the world is that you cannot imagine it being different so like he he can't imagine a world where he would have sold his sword it was just something that that he would never do it wasn't like I could sell my sword, but I don't want to. I could sell my sword, but it would dishonor me. I could sell my sword, but that's not who I am. It, 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 
there was never a moment where he even thought I could sell my sword, and that's how the, yeah. that's how it gets you. Which it I felt find like a kind of a, almost like a, a level of indoctrination. Like they're so conditioned to believe yeah. in this certain way of things that that you know he's he he then is is, is, is shocked when he realizes that himself that he's so bought into this that you say that he didn't even consider to you know selling his own swords to 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 look after his family. That was, that was yeah. I I I got behind that moment. I thought it was. Can I? Yeah. Effective. Can I ask? Um, because I I am genuinely confused. Um, he turned up. Um, and sorry, when I say he, I don't mean um, uh, uh, Jujiwa. I mean yes, uh, um, Suguro. Um, he turns up himself with a uh, bamboo sword. Is that right? No, his no. sword. No, Sugumo's sword. It's the bamboo is sword in, in, in Mike's the, film. In Mike's film, he used the bamboo th- sword, yeah. which kind of, he which is a, like a very much sword. proving a point. Um, yeah, which, <laughs> and which of course makes it bloodier and nastier. Oh no! The, 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 the in 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 Mike's one, it's kind of, it's almost taking the. Um, Strange, we we don't really get to see him use the sword very much in 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 this because I I think it it like cuts away, and yes. then he's holding a, a like some sort of a pike, or like a half bird or something. Well, we'll maybe um, talk about that in a second because I think the film's yeah. approach to action is very interesting. But um... it is, but the yeah the the idea of um, him turning up um, to make a point. Not necessarily to kind of kill anyone. The the, the you know the um that he has this yeah the the it it's it's interesting because the son arrives having sold his sword, which represents a kind of like um having um uh, you know, lost his honor or his fate. I guess the in, the shogunists the they compare that they they say basically he sold his soul. And he sold yeah. his sword. But they, they, like it almost makes more sense for 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 the father to have but, but, because it's like this idea of kind of selling off everything of value, like that he's lost everything of um of value, but he hasn't lost his sword. Um. But he has lost his faith in 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 is, in is that not the point though that he, uh, you know, he thought he'd lost everything, but then when he realizes he never even considered selling his sword, he was he made that realization in himself that like, how could I have thought I'd done everything I could when I didn't even think about selling my sword in the first place? I mean, like, like it's 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 a thing that you see, I think, in a lot of discourse. Again, to take it outside Japan, like at the moment where you have like this big hand ring that happens. Um, among older, say, liberals, to pick an example of like, yeah, young people are not like they don't believe in capitalism anymore. Like we're seeing studies that suggest that young people are more open to things like socialism. And it really almost feels kind of vaguely like that, where it's like young people are questioning the way that things are. I I would never question that. Why would I question that? Even though I, you know, have spent my life being cynical about the system as well. Younger people are somehow even more cynical about the system. And I think that like that's maybe a similar thing that's happening here in that it's like, well, we bought into the way the world is. And 
because we're because he's older like he's actually lived through battle he's actually lived through the point in history where the samurai were warriors where they bought into the bushido and again he has this big speech at the end where he talks about you know how learning to use a sword theoretically is like learning to swim on land on the other hand, I, you know, I haven't fought in battle for 16 years, but at least that means that I have experience and I know how to do it. Like his son or his his son-in-law has never like actually got to be a samurai because by the time we join the story, like at the age of 16, it's like, oh, by the way, it's all over. It's it's all done. It's done so. Samurai are basically useless and worthless and you don't even get to have the life that your parents had. Um, even as their life is also going to be is, crappy. Is it? Is it? It's like um, it's like communion when you say, um, "I'm not a Catholic anymore, and now neither are you." Um, but <laughs> but you're kind of you know the 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 idea of in in an Ireland and sorry, that's no comment on myself or on anyone else here. But this the this this idea say like to. If we have anyone who listens in Ireland, but I, I, I suppose the four of you are listening in Ireland. But this idea of um, kind of we had this thing that we believed in, and we now we pretend to believe in it, um, kind of a little bit like we did before, and um, and now the, the the next generation will 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 also pretend to believe in it, and then but even shocked. less. Yeah, yeah, but even less than 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 we do, and that 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 is, by the way, no no substantial criticism of 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 Catholicism, but or of that uh, generation either. It's just a statement of that generation, of that. Yeah. It's just but, the way yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, um, I mean, in in the character of Sugumo, like, okay, so he is an older, he's somebody, he's an older character who has lived through the age when samurai were, I suppose to put it bluntly, were of more use. So we're in the Edo period, which is more peaceful and more sustained. And the, like the reason that so many samurai are looking to commit seppuku for the shogunate is because they're, they have no use. Like their masters, are, their masters are dying off and they become redundant. And, and Harakiri was considered the only kind of remedy to that. The, the, so there, there's that aspect to it. But... Again, the what gives Harakiri its power as a film is the narrative it tells is that Tsukumo has endured far greater losses than just his perceived honor. It's his anger comes from the fact that the system that maintains this belief in honor, the the rules of Bushido, the that they've cost him not just his honor, but his family and everything that has given him any joy in his later life. Like he has nothing left to live for when he shows up offering himself. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about how it's structured is like it starts out as a recognizable samurai story, in particular, like you have the version of the accounting of events uh, involving um, Chiyawaya. Uh, but you also like then it becomes this weird, gritty social realist drama where you're you're spending time with this guy who makes umbrellas in a back alley um, dealing with like <laughs> his family and like his his grandson is dying and his daughter is sick and they're stricken by poverty. And I actually really like that transition 
transition that the film makes from like recognizable samurai epic to, oh, by the way, we're going to spend an hour now doing gritty, vaguely social realist drama in the 17th century. It's like a kind of loach. (laughs) It's more, I, I mean, it's a nice kind of intersection between Kurosawa epic and something more, something quieter, maybe in the long lines of someone like Ozu, if you wanted. Um, but, um, but the fact that it's a mesh and that it's something more, it's something more critical of the samurai code than anything Kurosawa would suggest. And the family drama is a lot more intense than Ozu would usually put on screen. So it's considering different, it's, it's looking at, uh, things it's looking at japanese the teams that are affecting japan at the time through through vaguely familiar lens but putting a more brutal cynical and uh and critical lens uh, a critical uh, spin on it all um like at the end of this film a lot of people are dead a lot of people that we have come to like and worry about and care for the it's it, it's cruel but that's kind of the world that uh, Kobayashi wants to paint he's not doing this by halves he's saying that the system that's in place um with all its codes and its ideas of honor um it's costing people their lives and plenty more besides I mean, we'll, we'll come back to the action stuff in a second, but you mentioned the ending there. It is worth mentioning the ending of the movie because one of the big themes of the movie, and again, this is something I think that it does rather well. Andrew's probably entirely right to say it does it on the nose. Yeah. And Andrew literally <laughs> raised his hand when I said, it does this well. Andrew's like, I object. Um, so like, okay, Hanshiro is a broken man. <laughs> so what they do is they have kind of, you know, Team America kind of um, stubble, uh, isn't it? makeup stubble, sort of like he looks clearly like like this kind of like the makeup. The um, you know made made him look the way he like he, he's like a beautiful man <laughs> who's, who's been made made to kind of look like a little uh, beardy and unkempt. It's ridiculous. Like Toshiro Mifune would have killed this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wow, wow. Um, Do not talk smack about Nakadai. I won't stand for it. No, I I like Nakadai. I like He's still alive. He's still alive, actually. I'd love for you to meet him and tell him that. No, I like him in a number of things. And I think, like, listening to him, he's he's fairly kind of humble when it comes to kind of, you know, things he did well and things he didn't do well. I'm sure he's proud of this, and he should be, because he does a lot of stuff well. But I just found that whole scene, which is supposed to be really moving, because yeah. it's this kind of... Um, I thought I, I thought actually the, 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 the remake um, did, did that a, be, uh, a, a bit better. Because um, I know it's a small point, but he you're he, make small points. He's not realistically grizzled, is what I mean. Um, but to be fair, you were sporting a magnificent beard. That's proper lockdown grizzle right there. Yeah, he, I feel like he, I could he does look have hard. a lockdown beard. To be fair, I could look. I, 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 if, if, if I left it a bit, it might look less fabulous. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> All right, but. 
Anyway, what I was going to say, one of the things I think it does rather well is this juxtaposition between the idea of the official history of events. And it opens. It opens with an opening of the I-Clan's, um, like, accounting of what happened. And it's just like, oh, yes, it was May 1630. The temperature was very, very hot. And then you watch the story unfold. And then at the end, you get this wonderful, beautiful stinger where it's like, but nothing important happened today, to, to borrow a quote uh, <laughs> from the wonderful uh, King George III. But the idea basically that like everything that we have seen over the course of this movie will be erased or expunged from the, criti- from the critical record of the historical record. It will be like it never happened. It was completely pointless. This gesture um, that he made by standing up for his, his son-in-law, by standing up for his family, by calling out the way in which these people were hypocrites and liars and the whole Bushido thing was nonsense, that will just be literally swept aside. Like the clo- I love the closing montage of them just like tidying up the crime scene afterwards, removing all the bloody sheets and that sort of like, and re- re- reframing the suit of armor, putting it back together. And then the little narration at the end, which is like, yep, yeah, this is this was just a regular day. This was, it's, this like, was... it's like he doesn't realize history is written by the bastards. <laughs> I always thought it was hit, written by the winners, but... <laughs> I mean, you both can say the same no, thing. I, well, sorry, I, Chris. You, you're dead right there. But like, why, what I enjoyed was the fact that throughout this... Um, you know, Han Shiro was kind of understood the futility of his whole escapade. Do you know, which I, I which I, I, which I enjoyed. Which then, then, then was then um, backed up then in that final, you know, uh, montage at the end. Like you say, he 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 knew what was going to happen. He knew how it was going to play out, but he did it anyway. Do you know? So I thought that was nice. And like the fact that even his his attempted suicide is interrupted by the gunshot. But you have that line from from Kobayashi, um, like Kobayashi himself has said, you know, um, there was the question of the depiction of history, that an incident of such significance had taken place while remaining unrecorded in official history, as though all were calm and nothing had happened. This is the deceit of history. That was the larger theme. And I like that you get this disconnect between the cold voiceover that's, a, you know, the account of what happened and then the actual flashbacks to seeing it happen. And like you could that happens throughout the film as well, where like characters are narrating or telling stories like you have, for example, the, you know, the narration it doesn't open with Chiwa's um, sort of uh, seppuku. It, it opens uh, with Hanshiro's kind of showing up and then trying to, Sato trying to dissuade him from committing ritual suicide. So he says, oh, by the way, let me tell you this story about the last guy who came up. Um, and you have like, Sato is obviously, he's telling that story to dissuade Hanshiro, but the what you see is a very different story, one can assume, than the one that he's presenting, where you have all this kind of like backdoor scheming going on where it's like, oh, look, they, they just want to show up, they want to get some money and they want to leave, it's going to bankrupt us, so what do we do? Oh, well, we make an example of this. And it's all like, look, he's got a bamboo sword, will we give him an actual blade? No, 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 we're going to let him do it with the bamboo sword because, well, look, he's a failure as a samurai and, you know, it's a humiliation and, and kind of like, let's just savor and enjoy that. And you have that kind of juxtaposition between the idea of the stories that get told and the way that things actually happen which i think is is very clever and i know andrew's gonna say it's it's very on the nose and it's very obvious but i do i do appreciate that i think it's something that's very well constructed within the film and we should actually single out here um phil mentioned uh the writer the screenplay was written by uh, shinobu hashimoto um who actually was one of akira kurosawa's brain trusts and had famously written roshiman uh, a few years earlier 
And the detail that I absolutely love about Hashimoto is that apparently he spent a great deal of his career complaining about flashbacks. He really hated flashbacks. Uh, and I love the fact that he's... The his writer two, of Rashomon. Yeah, the writer of Rashomon and Harakiri was like, flashbacks, they're a bit hackneyed, aren't they? Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, indeed. How but, do you feel about Dutch angles? <laughs> well, we'll I, actually, I, 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 like, I, I think watching it these days... You you might kind of again if you've been forced to watch movies <laughs> um, you, for you, four you, years at this point. Four, yeah, you, you 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 might think that 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 the that the Dutch Dutch angles are a bit hackneyed, um, but but they're 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 used in the right way. It just felt a bit kind of a lot of this seemed a bit sort of movie by numbers, and 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 I'm sorry that the. the the one thing I did, sorry, there's lots of things I liked. I shouldn't overstate <laughs> kind of um, uh, some sort of antipathy for this movie, but um, I like. It's good for drama, the, Andrew. It kind of sets the podcast yeah, yeah, off. Yeah, I suppose. It's- yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they, they, like, I don't think people are ready for nuance. <laughs> no, um, no, no, it's the internet. No. This podcast is on the internet, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but the, um, I liked. Um, or maybe I didn't like because it kind of annoyed me. But let's just say I liked um, the sort of dra- dramatic irony of certain lines. And I don't know where they meant to be funny, but the it's kind of um, his. Um, it's the um, the 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 main sort of um, attendant. I think his name was Sato, saying um, uh, this could be amusing. Like before he tells the story, <laughs> yeah. and um, the idea that like several times, it, I, I think at one point he says, "Keep it brief." And he's like, of course, yeah. And then and, and Andrew like, checks the runtime remaining <laughs> yeah, on the movie. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, and he's even like saying, like it's also mannered, and he's saying, uh, "Forgive my." tediously long recitation but um if you will <laughs> if you if, if if you will beg my pardon i i i, I shall I, now I, proceed with the uh, ritual <laughs> but i actually, yeah. actually did, i actually really love that that aspect of hanshiro like the bit where it's not just that he's like proving that the whole honor system is like corrupt and decayed and nobody actually believes it there's the bit where he's like andrew trolling where he's like oh the- I- I, like, you should have yes. seen scene. Like, you should have felt scene where Hanshiro's because like, look. I, I've done things that Hanshiro has done in, 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 in this movie. There was one, one time when I was, um, in, uh, this was back in like 2010 or something. Or, um, <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. No, yeah, I will. I will talk. About <laughs> well, you're committed this. now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it I did what Hanshiro did. Where um, um, I should say, I should say that I was innocent. <laughs> but I, I was working. I was working at a job where one of the responsibilities was to take care of alcohol. Um, and there, there, there was some alcohol had went missing, and I genuinely, like, sincerely, hand on my heart. Um, uh, had had nothing to do with it, it 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 being missing. I'd put it in a room that was locked, and that room got 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 opened. But I was responsible for it, and that was fair enough. So um, I was in like a disciplinary hearing over it, um, because I had put it in a locked room, but it wasn't sufficiently locked. So I 
I, I, I asked if, uh, they asked, like, do I want a witness? And I said, um, yes, I do. And then they said, uh, who, who is your witness? And, um, and I named, uh, a colleague of mine and they were like, uh, is he in today? And it's like, no, I, I think he, I think he's on leave for the next month. <laughs> Uh, not realizing, realizing Andrew had removed that person's top knot. Um. <laughs> oh, he's oh. he's feeling he's under the weather. Bless him. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, no, you're right, Darren. This, the, it, it, I did feel seen. Um, no, because because like there's something this. very trolling. Like I, like you, I think it is intentionally meant to be ironic and glib and kind of darkly funny. The moment where Anshira is like, oh well, if I could just beg your indulgence for a moment, because you know and I know that you have to pretend like you're going to listen to me. So I'm going. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like t- taking taking bullshit and using it against people. Yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what it is, which like, I kind of really like. It's like, oh, I'm 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 very I'm 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 very uh, comforted uh, by your system, and I'm glad I'm here, and I am submitting to to your rules and whoa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then and then it's like oh sorry these particular rules don't suit you um <laughs> well, so no, it's, it's yeah. the ridiculousness of procedure you know it's exactly yeah 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 um it's, that kind of it's... fantasy of weaponizing bureaucracy against the bureaucrats <laughs> exactly because pe- people make systems in order to control people yeah and then find that they're in these systems as well and it's it's kind of like what have we done? Um, that 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 wasn't meant to kind of like we can 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 we be at a remove from this system that we've created to 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 like it, belittle the rules shouldn't apply of, to um, us. Yeah, remember that Bill Hicks skit uh, about uh, it's just a ride, you know. When it's... I'm not going to recite it now because I'll just murder <laughs> it. But you know, <laughs> listeners, go go and Google it's just a ride by Bill Hicks. It's, it's but like, I, like part of me really does love the way that Hanshiro is like, and he's so fake modest and so insincerely modest where it's like, oh, these robes that I'm wearing, these just, they're good enough for me to like commit ritual suicide. Don't you trouble <laughs> yourselves about running a bath. Um, It'll be, I don't want to take up any more of your time than necessary. So if you don't want to sit here and, and we can have a conversation, that'd be good. It's like, it's like when you hear that, you, f- you just think he's building to something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody is this nice when committing ritual suicide. Nobody. Um, also, mind you, I, I do, I do empathise with uh, Sugumo when uh, he feels the urge to chop off uppity people's top knots. There are so many teachable that went moments. down like a lead balloon. <laughs> <God in>, <laughs> Uh, or, in, but sorry, in, 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 I thought we still hated top knots. <laughs> I don't mind top knots. I don't know why everyone has such a problem with them. Like I, so, I, I, I didn't. Would get you go so far as say they're not a big deal, Andrew? <laughs> I, I'm just def- I'm, I'm just, I'm defending top knots not because I have a top knot currently, <laughs> but because I, because I, I, I gave myself a top knot when there wasn't like a trend about having top knots. Um, and I, I would just like have a top knot at home, <laughs> like, in your own spare I, time in your bedroom, in just looking in the mirror. Time, yeah, I didn't go around with a top knot because I, did, I didn't think everyone wanted to see my top knot. And people would tell me like, "Stop that." <laughs> um, 
but, uh, but like yeah. before we move on like phil and chris do you have anything to say about that idea of kind of like the the changing of history or the way that history is written by the victors or the, the movie's use of say flashback structure and in the way in which it tells its story like is there anything that jumps out at you guys about that actually before we move on to maybe talk about the action or kind of any the film technique or whatever it's i the flashbacks of the family are just very effective kind of balancing between the the solemn posturing of all the ceremony of seppuku and it, it offers a more human uh a human face to all of us to the cost of it um it's it, it, i wouldn't say it's anything particularly special in its structure but just that it's deployed very very well the only thing i would say that i, I didn't love you know I, I enjoyed a lot of that that kind of idea of um you know Ronan's just kind of obsolete way of living and stuff like that i did feel that the very the final you know penultimate scene where he's he uh takes his own life before he gets shot by the lads with the muskets who turn up i feel like that was a bit you know a bit much you know like yes we, we'd gotten the message at this point oh he's, he's literally life. been now out you know he's out date out of date by technology now and it's like okay right yeah that's that's fine yeah where I I kind of read that more as just okay. It's it is also an on the nose point, but it maybe didn't bother me quite so much. It's the fact that the samurai, the shogunate, use the use the muskets, which would have been even more dishonorable than anything that uh, Tsugumo has uh, committed. So I I mean I'm not disagreeing that there are moments in Harakiri that are just that bit pointed but i don't mind i never minded because that sense of being that pointed it, it never overwhelms the uh the, the force of the of the narrative for me anyway yeah and i mean to be fair there's a lot of symbolism there that maybe western audiences uh wouldn't pick up on um or that kind of like threaded there are instantly recognizable to japanese audiences i mean it's notable that both of the the wandering samurai are dispossessed from Hiroshima, for example, which is an association that it's very difficult to get away from in post-war Japanese cinema. Um, things like the fact that the, it's set during the Edo Un period. Unintentional kind of... Um, uh, uh, I don't think it's really a reference at all that there is a lot of... And maybe maybe I was mistaken, but a lot of reference to Fukushima, which of course is not a reference yes. to anything that could have happened um, at the time. That could of have the, happened yeah. at the time. <laughs> yeah, even yeah, the the um, but yeah, it it, it um, it's not like it's a yeah, like a, after after World War Two, it's hard to kind of talk about um, uh, Hiroshima. Without evoking um, and, that kind of idea yeah. of like the, the the people who died there and and the people who died because Japan wouldn't surrender the war and because I the would, atomic bomb was dropped. I would kind of hope that it's not, though. An you know association what I mean? with that idea? Yeah, yeah. Because like I was listening to something about 1906 and them all go, going kind of off to um, Hiroshima because it was the, the naval kind of um, uh, base then. Um, and it, and it, it, it's... Um, uh, you know, b before um, kind of going off to fight the Russo-Japanese War or the, the kind of the 
Um, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you, 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 you are right. I would, I would just wonder if that's a choice that's been made. Like if they've chosen Hir- 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 um, Hiroshima, Hiroshima, or if it's just um, uh, inevitable. Um, like again, no, again, no, no they, too much I, I, I don't, I, 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 I think it's, it's likely intentional. But I just wonder why. You know, but they, they, they it, it's, it's not the same thing. You know, lo- lo- losing one's livelihood and losing one's life um is um i get like i i i i i don't know it, 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 there 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 are kind of levels of allegory and um uh metaphor and things uh oh you mean in terms of taking it too and, far so you mean like in terms yeah, of like yeah. the idea that an entire way of life is obsolete as compared to the deaths of of thousands of people yeah where where nobody had any kind of um um you know where 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 did there there wasn't like a a system created where like um where hundreds of thousands well i i don't know sorry you 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 could have an argument about it it just seems kind of glib i guess if 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 that was um what they were doing by by referencing hiroshima Okay, well, again, maybe it is oversignified. And there's a ten. I think we've talked on the podcast before about when we talk about post-war Japanese cinema. There's an assumption that everything has to be read in the shadow of of the Second World War, and that's maybe reductive and unfair. I do also think and that there no, are points like there. There's certainly a, a a load of stuff under in the context of the bomb. I'm just wondering, kind of like, if this is a reference to the bomb, it's a very obvious reference to the bomb, and what is it trying to say? Um, if it is, um. Because well, is it, is it about the idea that, you know, you have these people who didn't necessarily actively buy into this system that was being pushed by these people who were in charge and who weren't necessarily adhering to the core values or weren't using those core values to serve the state or to preserve the state in the sense of the people who who are part of that state? And it was the idea that the people who suffered because of that system were people who were relatively innocent um who weren't the people making the calls so the people on the war council who refused to surrender and i think even after hiroshima and nagasaki it was still split 50 50 if i remember correctly but, the emperor yeah, had to intervene I, I yeah if 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 that's the case then like um and again that's, that's probably then, too then, much i'm not an expert not, in japanese cinema i should no no but it, but not only would that be clumsy but it's 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 a kind of a um is this over apologetic? Um, this that that's or like trying 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 to cast blame on what happened on the Japanese uh, people being somehow complicit in it, um, where they were not. But um, I, I, I don't you know, think you know, that, I don't you think know, that Harakiri the, believes that like the the like I think like one of the big points of Harakiri is that the samurai themselves serving these ideals weren't complicit in it. Like I don't think it like I don't think Hanjiro were meant to look at Hanjiro and so well hey the death of his son is really his fault because he bought into it. I think we're meant to go no he he bought into it but this is it was never for his benefit. Nobody nobody you know, bought never, into American he, imperialism in in Japan. Um, during 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 World War Two, like the the only people that did were spies, you know, that it, it it didn't it didn't represent like the the um it, it wasn't it would it, it wasn't the Japanese government that dropped the bomb yeah. on on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. No, I I I I just find that 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 if if it's going for that, I don't know what it's trying to say, 
And um, if it is, if if it's if it's trying to say what you think, what 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 you say it might be trying to say, then 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 I think it can fuck off. Okay. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. No. I, again, to be clear, I am not at all endorsing the idea of blaming the people who suffered in the dropping of the atomic no, bomb. No, I, I I don't expect you are. But what are we to make of it? I guess is if, if I if, I really yeah. don't imagine that would be the case here. Uh, Kobayashi is a committed pacifist i i think he would balk at such a suggestion yeah um but anyway so yeah okay fine so uh, ignoring that things like say the fact that the, the movie's set in 1630 which is early in the edo period but it's obviously informed by the fact that like japanese audiences will know the eventual fate of this kind of government and and this period that like even though it's it's a period that i think lasted around about 250 odd years um in the late 19th century it only eventually kind of collapsed um, but the idea that like it was long and it was peaceful, but that it ended and it collapsed towards the end of the 19th century. So that all this pomp and ceremony and all this effort that's being made to preserve it, that that will eventually like collapse into itself. And it will kind of towards the end become like succumb to war and chaos. And that, you know, the idea that even if this is the platonic ideal, even if things are peaceful now, and even if this is a period that in Japanese kind of like culture is regarded as an era of learning and kind of wisdom the the understanding that all of that will eventually be gone and it will blow away and again like there's that actual discussion that they have like where you know the character of Jiro himself makes the point that you know you don't think that a strong breeze is going to come and blow all this away but audiences know that yeah even even the house of e will be blown away um, eventually the clan of E and it's worth noting that that the I clan itself has its own kind of historical weight in that like towards the end of the Edo period it was and I apologize for mangling this pronunciation but it was E Naisuki who would open up Japan to the west it was him who made the the first negotiations with the United States in terms of opening up Japan um, to western powers um, and so you have that kind of like idea of all that is kind of tied up that the use of say the the I the house of I or the I clan is not coincidental it comes with its own symbolism and kind of mythic weight and it's all you know again that that kind of cliche of the Faulkner quote the past is never dead it's not even past that was in the context of the boxer rebellion sorry not the boxer in it was in in the context of kind of the the um uh, opium wars and seeing how china was just being carved up by um by all of the uh, european powers and um and um uh, russia in port arthur and um Mukden and all 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 over China, and if if you want to look at like a, a map of China in like kind of um, um, in the kind of late nineteenth century, nineteenth century, or, or or even in kind of nineteen hundred at the at the is the start of the twentieth century, you can see you can see that Europe is is doing what Europe does, and um, J- Japan's um, sorry anyway they they. This 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 idea that um, Japan, I guess, wanted to, I don't know. Op- op- uh, sorry, sorry. Okay, that, okay, but um, the, the point is anyway. It, it's obviously a controversial point in Japanese history, but my point is more that it comes with this weight. That the fact that all all these things are chosen and all these references are made and this story is positioned in a particular time and place that has particular connotations. Um, that's hmm. that's kind of the point that, yeah, that I'm making yeah, here, and that. They, it, None of it exists in a vacuum, basically, is is what I'm saying. Um, no, no, yeah, like like it's it's um, 
it it's it's a kind of i think i think some some of the post war kind of um uh japanese um cinema is probably the kind of cinema that we should be seeing more of now in um in hollywood where um there should be more of a sense of um the end of the american century is it that sort of stuff the end of yeah, american exceptionalism yeah yeah where where kind of like we um things are going well but they they like there's there's no there's no chance that they're going to continue to go well all is not well you know but and we see some of that but but the 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 the, the kind of movies that try to get that point across don't tend to do very well Yes, um, uh, audiences don't necessarily seem particularly receptive to that idea. Yeah, where whereas I think I think maybe post-war Japan um, is there just a real appetite to beat themselves up, like the and and there's an extent um, of there there's a certain amount of that in in kind of um, I guess German culture as well. This kind of uh, the, the uh, guilt, the, old, the, the, the kind of obviously it's not German culture, but the old Harry Enfield sketch about kind of I want to apologize for my country's conduct in the war. Um, I don't know. Um, it 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 seem it seems a kind of a simplification though. There's there's this this whole this whole idea that like what have we wrought on ourselves? Um, but I think that level of introspection and is you know understandable to an extent. It is, like, I it mean, is. and and I don't know anything, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, just I, my I, opinion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, again, um, I I'm kind of like I'm looking at this more as a passive observer. I'm not. I don't think that this is right or wrong. I'm just wondering if it is, if that makes sense. Um, if like this is stuff that is there. But anyway, sorry, this has turned into sorry, a tangent upon sorry, a tangent I do upon beg a your tangent. Pardon. No, no, it's it's all entirely fault. no, it's entirely fair. Um, and you're entirely right. We probably shouldn't be talking about this stuff. We are not experts. Uh, unlike our two experts. So Phil and Chris, <laughs> let's start <laughs> saying that. Um, Stand but no. back, lads. I'll just wade into this snowball. <laughs> yeah, I, I did appreciate that Phil and Chris were like, no, 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 let them fight. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, like this is just like I, I have learned. Like when Andrew goes off, just no, no, no. <laughs> to be fair, it was me. I started it. It was my fault. But what I will say... You're starting to sound a bit like, well, I don't know who now. Okay. A character in this movie, perhaps. Um, what I will say, though, um, the action... It's talk- not your fault. It's, it's, a, it's not your it's, fault, Darren. <laughs> let's, oh, let's, wait, wrong movie again. Sorry. Let's talk... Yeah, I, I love that Andrew maybe confused it with the, the, the Cache Mike version. And on the other hand, you were like, no, 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 no. Um, Goodwill Hunting. That's what I'm confusing it with. <laughs> But let's talk about the, the action sequence. Because one of the things I find really interesting about Harakiri, and again, it plays into this idea of it being the anti-samurai film, is how it repeatedly and consciously holds back its violence. Um, and like, you know, for example, it takes, it's a two hour and 12 minute film and you're about like an hour and 55 minutes in before anybody properly starts cutting at anybody else. Um, but even things like, you know, the fact that like the first scene you see with a sword is the ritual suicide of Chiawai, which is it's shocking. It's one of the most unsettling scenes I've, I've seen in a while. And this is in a black and white kind of like 1962 film. It was really uncomfortable to watch. Mm. Um, and this is the scene that I think uh, Kobayashi said that he basically storyboarded drunk. He couldn't figure out how he was going to depict this on screen uh, because obviously it's 1962, it's Japan. 
And you can't really show somebody doing this in any graphic detail. And it was like, so yeah, my great epiphany was that he would at certain point bend over and start like trying to hammer the bamboo sword on the ground. And that would mean that I wouldn't have to actually show anything graphic. I could just show blood splatter and his face reaction. And it's like, damn it, Kobayashi, you nailed it again. Um, he apparently talked to a cinematographer and the cinematographer said, I've heard your sober ideas and I've heard your drunk ideas. Your drunk ideas are much better. Um, but yeah, like that, that sequence is, I found that really uncomfortable to watch. Now I know Andrew watched the mic version and I get the sense, I get the real sense that like me complaining about how uncomfortable I was watching this sequence to Andrew feels like somebody just whining about, you know, oh, it's very tough for you. Um, is this something that was different in the mic version? And like after watching the mic version, was this scene as effective for you, Andrew? I mean, it's difficult to watch <laughs> something. Um, uh, immediately after the the mic version and not um and and be able to see it kind of properly and 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 the 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 2011 version is so kind of um upsetting and i i i, I guess arresting and it's not just the harakiri scene um there, there, there are. Um, there's a lot. There, there's a lot of tragic stuff. I, I, I won't. I won't go into all of the stuff that happens, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention one thing. Um, that's like kind of on the lighter side of tragedy. <laughs> um, uh, uh, is is there's there's a cat death in in um in the Takashi Mike uh, version, and I think I, I feel want like to know the context for that. I don't. Even that's like, like, just. That's just there for anyone who is a psychopath and doesn't um, empathize with uh, the loss of human life and um, wants to also feel terrible um, so that they can get to see a cat die um, uh, and just like lingering camera shots on like the dead carcass of a cat. Um, I'm yeah. sure that came across really well in 3D in camps. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what about what about Phil and, and what about Chris? That sequence was that sequence like so. You weren't as jaded as Andrew. You didn't come in after Andrew kind of like had been numbed by watching. I'm the very glad I didn't. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> going by this reaction. But like, was what well, is it just me or is that like is that a very uncomfortable, very effective it is. sequence? No, it is definitely it is, and maybe it's it's the fact that we haven't seen anything up to that point in the film that it is. All the more striking. Well, no point intended. But, uh, um, but like the film then holds back on the violence. It, it like when you get to the and like one of the things I actually love is that again vaguely like Han like Hanshiro himself like Andrew himself it is almost kind of trolling you uh, with the violence because it's like you go to a samurai film and like the poster is the two two guys fighting in the field and it's you know Hanshiro looking like he's about to cut a guy down with a sword but like even when you get to the point where it's like okay he definitely did some samurai stuff. You know, he basically kind of, you know, attacked these three guys uh, and he took their top knots, you know, the uh, Hayatu Onomensky and Hikokuro. But like, even when you play those sequences, they're edited in such a way, particularly like Hayatu, the first guy that he ambushes. He confronts him in an alley. You get this kind of big setup sequence where it's like he realizes he's being followed. They both draw their swords. 
They see each other. There's a guy. I love that there's a guy in the background of the shot who's like, well, I've just wandered into a samurai duel. But the two of them kind of like they charge. Hayatu draws his sword and he charges at him. And then the movie just cuts away. It's like, you don't get to see this cool samurai fight that's happening. And then it's like. Sorry, it just occurs to me on on that point of the um, cool samurai jewels. It just occurs to me that any any samurai who's like, well, what do I do now? There's no wars to be fought. Like, just find someone who who has slighted you. <laughs> Say like you you have you have denigrated my honor, sir, and I'm, I must have satisfaction. Just do because like... Barry Lyndon has taught us nothing, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. But like like even the second time it does it, so it does. So Hayatu, it cuts from him charging at the sword. It's like, yeah, we're gonna get to see some cool sword stuff, and it's like, no, you're not. Um, and then it gets to Omensuko. Um, and apologies for mangling that. I'm so sorry. But it gets the second guy, and it kind of cuts. It does the opposite there. It cuts in late in the sword fight so you don't get to see the sword fight you see him just pinned on the ground and his top knot being kind of taken off and it's not again it's not kind of like cool samurai sword fight like kill bill or even you know if you want to go to things like seven samurai or things like um you know yojimbo a sort of action there it's it's really gritty and uncomfortable and unpleasant and then you know so it's done these two and you get to the third fight with hikokuru and it's like okay this is going to be the badass, cool samurai fight. And, like, the movie deliberately and pointedly makes you wait. They spend, like, five minutes of the film walking to the samurai fight that's going to happen. And I actually really appreciate the fact that Kobayashi, in what is normally a samurai film that you expect to have samurai-sized thrills in it, like, really seems to thwart his audience's desire to see that stuff because that's not what the movie he's making is. Is that fair to say, Phil? Is that I would say so. I uh, like there is bloodshed towards the end and in the uh, first Harakiri scene. But the if there was any kind of more extravagant action in the scenes where he has to take the top knots, I think that would un- Kobayashi might feel this might have felt that it would undermine his point a little bit and perhaps glorify the violence that the uh, that the samurai engage in i nearly i nearly said indulge in but well we, we don't get we don't get that too. moment in sanjuro where he just shoots cuts the guy and the geyser full of blood explodes but um, exactly like um the kobayashi like many great directors knows that violence is best used sparingly because if you do it that way it's um it has a power to it if you use it right and so when the bloodshed does come, it's it is that bit more surprising. Um, it's not like when it comes along, it's messy and unpleasant, and it's not like it's not gratuitous in the in a kind of triumphant way, like uh, Sugimo just mowing down the bad guys. It's more just kind of an inevitability. And when um, in the first Harakiri scene, when his son-in-law has to do it with the bamboo blade um it just kind of spills out you don't necessarily you're not sure what you're going to see but when it happens it's not it's not it's not satisfying or even particularly artsy in the way it's done it's just oh you got you know that's that's nasty and then when there's more blood spilled later on 
like you said, it's not a kill bill kind of moment where it gushes out in a fountain. It it spills out. It's it feels more tangible. It feels like it has more consequence that way. And if and if there was more of that in the uh, fight scenes, the with the taking the top knots, um, could have included it, but. There are brief moments of exciting action. It's Kobayashi's, perhaps, maybe he's just allowing a little bit of traditional samurai action in just to just to give the audience a little bit of what they want in between long moments of discussion and storytelling that they otherwise might not have expected. I mean, there's a really good line where he's talking about, like, the sequence where they battle on the hill, which looks gorgeous. And I think that it's, like, still influential today. Ghosts of Tsushima, the video game, like, explicitly references that sequence where they walk through the graveyard and they walk up the hill. Did but- you play the entire video game? No, I just did Darn. my research. I worked, I work. I, I, I'm now critic at large or critic at small for a video game website. So I'm kind of obligated to get the occasional video game plug in there. But there's a moment where he, where Hanshiro kind of talks about how a blade can do more than cut. It can also stab or even snap another blade in two. And one of the things that I really like about the action sequences here is that they hinge on that. It's not like you impale a dude or you slice a dude and he falls down and he's dead. Like, he snaps a blade at one point and then like even in the final fight there's lots of bits where he'll cut people and they'll like bleed from a gash on their forehead or on their arm and like even in the big like you've been promised this moment of catharsis kind of like big fight in the courtyard and through the gigantic house i love that he's he's basically animalistic he picks up like pebbles and throws them in people's faces at one point you know he uses another guy as a human shield there's no real sense of like you know, I think of like Sanjuro, which I adore, but the sequence in Sanjuro where Sanjuro like guts his way through an entire room of like 40 henchmen. And like the moment where like he, he realized, oh no, there's somebody behind the door. I'm just going to stab thoroughly there. And like the point of that sequence is at the end, he finds like the young samurai who causes He's like, by the way, you made me kill 40 people because you're that inept. I kind of love the idea that Harakiri is just like, well, actually, no, it's, it's sweaty and it's, it's, it's unpleasant and it's uncomfortable. And it all, all these tricks to it, <laughs> like using other people <laughs> as human shields. Um, Go for the testicles. <laughs> throw gravel. That's your answer to everything. Don't be afraid to throw gravel in other people's faces. But what did we think of the big showdown in the compound at the end? Um, in the Has anyone in the ever show? studied Krav Maga? <laughs> it's... Uh, to answer that second question, no. Uh, no sorry, to answer the first question. Pardon. Chris, what uh, did you think of the showdown? Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, yeah, I thought it was... I thought it was. I thought it was fine. And it was effective, uh, purely for the reasons you say. Is that like we haven't been gifted that before now, and and but like, like you say, those scenes where it's teased and you know we, there's a promise of, of, a, of, a, of a of a battle here. It's when it's when it isn't when there isn't that payoff. I don't feel cheated. I don't feel like that that should have happened. And how dare Kobayashi hold that back? It's it it's it's absolutely in keeping with what he's saying and what you know messages getting across and so yeah the the, the big fights in the end was um i thought it was good but i i actually quite enjoyed the 
the moments during that scene where you weren't focused on the, the action itself, you were in the, the large empty hall where the counsellor was on his own waiting for yeah. the outcome and, you know, there was that tension Which is there. another scene where they kind of cut, it's it's very similar to that sequence where they cut away because it's like the moment that the fight starts, you, you move inside the mansion and the camera just like pans across to them just sitting down listening to the sounds of it as if to say like the movie is like, it's, it's 1962 the film is not going to go full like, you know, 2014 Godzilla you're not going to see the monster, but there's a moment where the film seems to tease you might not actually get to see the fight you might just hear the fight mm. uh, which I kind of love it's again vaguely trollish um, yeah I, 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 I think it's great and you know leaving more things to the imagination of, of the audience I think is always is always a good thing mm. so, sorry Phil you look like you're about to jump in there mm. and not particularly no uh, but I think I actually I think it's a nice balance between those two approaches in that it's not it's not like Seven Samurai where the kind of the fight takes up the whole last act of the movie. It's literally within the last 10 minutes that that all kicks off. Um, but what you do see, I think, is remarkably well choreographed and shot. And so it, the camera is so nimble and the moves are so elegant. And, uh, and you feel, you know, you feel the blows when they come. You keep worrying who might get to Tsugumo who might deliver the the killer blow you, and until it happens um you know you, you're you're on edge for it and when he gets a blow in at somebody else and takes someone down you find yourself cheered and thrilling for him um but um when he does start to waver and he takes the first few cuts it's, it's like a death by a thousand cuts almost but and then death by gunshot <laughs> exactly, exactly in that most uh, cynical end to the to the whole endeavor but when he starts to falter you find yourself really pitying him and thinking to yourself come on get up get up you're not you know you can you you're i don't think you're ever going to believe that yeah you can get out of this but when he breaks into the central chamber of the shogunate's uh a compound and he finds the the suit of armor and like okay he may not survive but if he at least gets to prove his point and tear that thing down you know you feel like well at least he'll have achieved something and proved his point even if it leads to his death and then of course once the fight is over and everybody just tidies everything up and the winners of the bout write the history it all feels very crushing it's you know the emotions are set up in such a way and then just kind of get undermined and the rug gets pulled out from underneath the viewer that way um i I think the whole thing is just remarkably well done like we've said the whole way through not necessarily anything that you've seen before but just done really really well yeah, we should, before we wrap up, just quickly discuss some matters of kind of craft, because like Kobayashi is a director with a very distinct um, aesthetic and a very distinct kind of view and the way in which he frames his shot. He's very fond of those high angle um, shots, particularly shots from the roof looking down. Um, and mm. those appear throughout his work as well. They appear in Kaiden, places like that as well. Um, and his sets are designed to do that. Apparently, it, it's partially to suggest um, old Japanese illustrations 
the way in which these sagas were illustrated and told, but also apparently simply because when he was a child, having grown up in Hokkaido, whenever he needed to clear his head, he would climb up mountains. And so those, he's talking about how those high angles remind him of climbing up mountains and just looking down on things. But I love that kind of like God's eye view shot where you have like the roof tiles and stuff like that. And like, there are a couple of interviews in the Criterion Collection you can watch where he's like, where they mention those shots, he's like, oh yeah, the roof tiles. I remember the roof tiles. And it's like, oh, it's great. You know, that's the note that you took from those shots. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Like you say, it's it's a God's eye view. Uh, And, and... I had said before that it's a relatively simple story at its core, but just the fact that you're able to look down on it like this and observe everything, it gives it just an extra sense of uh, importance and power. Like it's if you were closer to the ground, it would all just feel maybe a bit uh, kind of you might get some more of that like tightly edited action that you'd see in a uh, in a comparable movie that was made today. But when, from looking on on high, it gives it a certain grandeur and a certain gravitas Uh, and then finally just a shout out to the score written by Toru Takamitsu which was apparently the first major composition uh, for Biwa in post-war Japanese cinema and would spark a long-running relationship between himself and the director as well and I actually do like the soundtrack a lot and when I was watching it the opening credits music reminded me a lot of the music that Scorsese cut the because of course the music Scorsese cut the trailer to silence to um, the kind of ambience, the music that plays over the the opening credit sequence of the movie. Um, and again, uh, Scorsese's talked about how when he was making Silence, this was obviously one of the big influences uh, on him as well. And finally, finally, a um, couple of behind the scenes bits of gossip. First of all, apparently they used real swords because health and safety was not a thing when you were making movies in 1962, apparently. Um, but yes, that is one of the reasons why I think that uh, they've actually come out and said, like, our choreography wasn't necessarily as dynamic as Kurosawa's, and it wasn't as kind of, like, jumpy and fast and quick. And that was in part because we were using real samurai swords, and so we didn't really want to take unnecessary risks with them. Um, uh, uh, Robocop 3 didn't use real... <laughs> Samurai swords. <laughs> we, we got there in the end. Uh, um, and, and also, yes, um, the other the other one that I quite like is the the character. So obviously, the two actors Nakadai and Makuni, who play the two characters, arguing at one another across the courtyard. And again, that is a signature um, shot if you're watching Kobayashi movies, where he will have these big spaces and these big sets, and he will have one character in the background and one character in the foreground in order to emphasize the space between them. But apparently there were arguments between the two actors on the set where Nakadai was speaking very loudly and very dramatically so that he could be heard across the set. And Makune apparently refused to do the same. His argument was that there were microphones nearby to pick up his line readings, so he didn't need to enunciate loudly. And it was more important for him to do kind of subtle character work, but leading to an awkward situation where Nakadai couldn't hear his co-star's lines across the sets where they were shooting. And apparently that was a big point of contention uh, between the More two actors. in the monitor. All right, then. I think that about wraps it up, unless there's anything else anyone wants to talk about. Anything that we haven't discussed already. So, Phil or Chris, is there anything in this movie that you think merits discussion that we haven't discussed already? I hate when you ask us that because it always feels like there's something I should mention, but off the top of my head, I don't know what. 
I can't come up with any food waste. Um, I can't really come up with, unless no, there there was some, and no smoking. No, well actually, I have some... one for that, but we'll come back to that. Oh, soon. there was some food waste in the Mike version because there was a child who wouldn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew was like, um, "You deserve your fate." Um, uh, no, 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 it was not. <laughs> um, uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the Micah version, so I, I apologize if I insinuated Don't. something on. Uh, yeah, there's <laughs> in there, Andrew. Apologies. Um, all right then, but yes, in terms of inappropriate smoking, um, if you like, Google any picture of Masakai Kobayashi, any picture. Like, from, like, 1916 through to his death in 1996, or watch any video interview with him, including one conducted in a public auditorium or public space where people are clearly confined around him, he will always have a cigarette in his mouth. Um, it's- even it, even his profile picture on Wikipedia, it's, <laughs> yeah. he's got a cigarette dangling from his lips. <laughs> no, I mean, he, lo- he does look so good, I'm hesitant to call it inappropriate smoking, but I think it's as close as we're going to get with this movie in question. So I'm going to call it on that. All right, then. What we normally do at the end of this podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something you are enjoying at the moment. By the way, shout out to Phil. Having decided there's no inappropriate smoking in the movie, he's decided to put the inappropriate smoking in the podcast. We appreciate it, Phil. Um, All right, then. So to give Phil and Chris a chance to think about their recommendations, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, My my good friend... uh uh, Phil Bagnall recently sent me um, a, a couple of movies, um, uh, Mishma, um, uh, which we've mentioned, which was worth the wait. I loved it. Like they, mm. they, they it, it had. It's, it, this is uh, Paul Schrader's uh, Mishma with the score uh, by Philip Glass. This, they, they, I feel like so far, I'm having good luck watching movies based on there being a Philip Glass. Um, uh, uh, score of them. I'm sure there are exceptions to that. Yeah, Condon is one of your favorite Martin Scorsese movies, if I remember correctly, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's fantastic, and um, and I think it 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 captures the the um the silliness of uh Bushido, but also has a lot of kind of interesting things to say about um about her art um i'll also recommend malcolm x because i've been waiting a long time to see that and and phil um also uh, um uh, sent it to me because he's great and he um and we wouldn't the, have watched uh, this movie without phil i know that i know that there was a big recurring <laughs> joke at the start of the podcast about who to blame for this but thank you phil we actually do really appreciate yeah. it I'd, you're very welcome Finally, I'd recommend um, the Russo-Japanese War. It's it's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> it's ba- ba- basically um, uh, uh, Russia um, goes east um, because they can't go any further west. Um, and now this is the spoiler zone. Yeah, them. this is the spoiler yeah. zone. Listeners who, who are invested in wars from the through the twentieth century may want to cover yeah. their ears. But like Russia no, goes yeah, yeah. east. You make it sound like a police academy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's it, it's great because there's so much um kind of uh puncturing of um uh, hubris 
and um yeah they they obviously it, um every war is a tragedy <laughs> but, but if you if if uh, i i was listening to um in our time uh, recently the bbc podcast did a, a kind of a a short um sort of a summary of it in our time is 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 45 minutes long so people complain that it's not long enough <laughs> uh, luckily we have them covered um luckily we do yeah. <laughs> all right then and chris what would you recommend for listeners what are you enjoying at the moment it can be related or unrelated to the movie in question uh, um well i on this discussion i am very tempted to revisit that beautiful companion piece of this movie tom cruise's last samurai i think it's really worth the revisit <laughs> No, no. Um, I, I, just purely because I watched it recently and enjoyed it again for a second time. Uh, Black Klansman, Spike Lee's, um, from a few years ago. Um, watched it again. It was it was came across on television and I stuck with it again and it was just superb. I've actually been listening to the soundtrack ever since. It's um, phenomenal. Yeah. Film, actually, really, really yeah. loved it. And again, came back to it recently. And yeah, it it like watching it the first time I was like this is great and watching it the second time I was like this is even greater than I thought it was um, which is a great experience to have with a movie uh, and what about yourself Phil what would you recommend for listeners oh I've got two things and they're so different from one another that I kind of feel like I'm taking the piss but <laughs> the heck with it uh, first one uh, since I've mentioned a few times on here I would recommend if you're up to it uh, checking out the Human Condition Trilogy which uh, uh, Kobayashi made over a period of four years just before he made Harakiri. Um, I believe it's two it, Snyder Cuts long or three Irishmen long. hi <laughs> I can hear uh, Darren's calculator. <laughs> <laughs> Crunching the numbers. Um. Um, it's, um, like I say, it's, it's full on, but it captures a great swathe of experiences for a lot of people uh, in Japan during and just after the second world war all told through the eyes of an army of a an army recruit uh kaji played by tatsue uh, nakadai again and he's phenomenal in the film even through its toughest slogs he's the one who sees you through it even though it's immaculately made with the same kind of craft and similar kinds of methods that you see in harakiri so that would be an unconditional recommendation uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, oh dear, um, you think I'd be used to the puns on this thing by now? <laughs> uh, and and, my... and just generally, like, like you know, for listeners who don't personally know Darren, <laughs> like this isn't something he just does for the show. Um, it's constant, constant as the northern constant. star. Sorry, Phil, cut you off. Indeed, sorry, Phil. Uh, my, my no, second... no, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> My second recommendation, um, just because I watched it very recently and uh, I really wasn't prepared for it. Now, it's not good, but I have to, I, I just feel like I want to give it a shout out anyway, anyway is uh, Serenity, the uh, oh. <laughs> the Stephen Knight film from a couple of oh, years ago I with need Matthew to see McConaughey this. and Anne Hathaway. It's, so it's the story of a fisherman played by McConaughey who is on the hunt for an elusive giant tuna. What is the tuna called, gets, Phil? What is? Tell me what the tuna is called. Is in, the tuna is known as Justice. <laughs> so he is pursuing Justice. <laughs> and he's on this hunt when his ex-wife, played by Anne Hathaway, comes in and offers him money to kill her new husband, played by Jason Clark, because he always plays uh, villains. 
And when it's not being kind of boring in its dramatic moments, it's bonkers. It is bonkers. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and you have to go into this cold, know nothing else yeah. about it because it has a twist that Shyamalan would balk at. It's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> but there's something in it for everybody. It's daftly entertaining. It's got the likes of Jimon Hunsu and Diane Lane in supporting roles. Jeremy McConaughey Strong, Jake. I think, like shot and up Jeremy your, Strong. your own personal estimation of like actors. Oh, he, up there with Willem Dafoe and Aquaman, I believe, is how he's oh, like when he whenever he appears in this, I, I couldn't stop laughing. It's ridiculous. Jeremy Strong was in that uh Grimsby as well. <laughs> Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm thinking Mark of Mark Strong. Strong. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I do don't, beg your pardon. Yeah, Jeremy sorry, Strong is like... Succession. Is in bad things and I expect him to be in more bad things. He's great in... Um, in bad uh, things. Uh, in Succession. Yeah. But yeah. Um, seemingly he's also kind of... Oh, actually, never mind. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Forget I said um, anything. Yeah. Will do. He's hilarious in it. The, the cast, God love them, are trying, but goodness knows why. McConaughey frequently takes his shirt off and ha- Anne Hathaway is looking particularly fine as a blonde. So something for everybody. It's daft. Go in cold. All right. Um, I would second Phil's recommendation of Serenity. It is a film that you have to see to believe. Um Think of it like when you're watching it, it's one of those movies where you have to think how many people said yes for this to happen, which is qu- yeah. one of, I love it when that happens in a movie. Um, so that pre- It's one of those films that just kind of slipped out and you wonder how it managed to it's do It's like that. Book of Henry. It reminds me a lot of Book of Henry, which myself <laughs> and Andrew, <laughs> yes. I think Chris may also, Chris, you also, yeah, it's very much like Serenity has big Book of Henry um, sort of like energy oh, to it. It's not quite as warped, but it is just as daft. Um, yeah, right, right down. Like some of the central plot points are very, very similar, um, which is great. Um, which brings all me you need to say. All you need to say was uh, Serenity, Book of Henry, and, and I'm on board. <laughs> so on board. <laughs> That's a double bill I want to see. <laughs> Can listeners join us next week when we'll be discussing Serenity? <laughs> we, we will not. We should actually. So like, again, anyway, we are kind of drifting away from the 254 format because we've resigned, <laughs> we've resigned ourselves to the fact we're never going to finish we know anyway. We're never going to finish anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so, me to it. so my recommendation uh, this week, and again, it's, it's a movie I mentioned earlier, and it's kind of maybe tied in some ways, the only time that you'll hear this mentioned, tied to movies like Serenity or Book of Henry. Uh, but again, Kwaidon, which is the movie that Kobayashi made after this, which is his collection of four uh, interlocking ghost stories. And it is the first movie that he made in color. It is absolutely stunning. It is, I believe, the most expensive Japanese movie made to this point in history. Um, and they gave it to him and they let him do whatever he wanted with it. It is gorgeous to look at. It is rich. It is atmospheric. It's got this kind of like ambience to it that I just kind of get lost in. And it is very much like up Darren Street. It's the, why would you give this director this much money and this much creative freedom to do something this odd and like arguably different from the other stuff that he's done based on on what I know of his filmography? Like, I mean, there is like subtext there about the human condition and stuff like that, but it's, it's very much also... I like ghost stories. I'm making four ghost stories. That's what I'm doing here. And it's it's very atmospheric. It's very rich. It's very evocative. It looks stunning. All of it is shot on sets. 
uh, which is something that I very much kind of like. It's something I associate with kind of movies from the 60s, 70s and 80s. All of it will be done via CGI now. So it's all practical effects. But I, I loved it. I absolutely adored it. It's available on Criterion as well if you are um, in the States. Um, so, yes, it is well worth checking out. All right, then. So, Chris, Phil, where can we find you? What's up there? What you doing? I'm here. Right. Chris, <laughs> our Kira Kurosawa expert just kind of shrugged his shoulders. So he will be back joining us uh, to talk about Ozu. You're extending your repertoire. We're going to be talking about Tokyo Story, I think, at some point in the yeah, nearest future. Well, look, you know, if, if your listeners are interested in me reciting a 15-year-old student essay, which I need to dig out at some stage with, it, with very, very basic conclusions. Our listeners, and by which I mean myself and Andrew, would definitely be down for that. Um, definitely, yeah. The, 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 um, no, we 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 are, and and the, um, listeners should check out Phil and Chris's other episodes. Um, Thank they, you. Yeah, they're 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 really good. Um, fun. I have some catch up to do on uh, on Phil as being you know best guest. So. <laughs> best guest. Oh, I don't know about that. I, 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 but thank you for the shout out. I mean, I'm on. I, I've. It's been my privilege to star on such uh, varied uh, episodes as the Seventh Seal, The Irishman, Three Colors Red, and Cats. <laughs> this is your acceptance speech <laughs> for best for best guests. <laughs> Do you want to know what what Phil's most popular episode is? It's Cats. It's always cats. Phil, <laughs> Phil will always be the cat guy. No matter how hard he tries, he can talk about Kobayashi all he wants. He will just be the cat guy. Um, in that case, I'm giving a shout out to my episodes on the Battle of Algiers, the Prestige and LA Confidential. They deserve more love. Um, all right, then we will be back next week. We're rounding out this very short world tour that we've taken that has taken us uh, from hopefully Wild Tales with Anya O'Connor through the films of Miyazaki and rounding out our anime, if you will. And next week, we're going to wrap up uh, with the wonderful Luke Dunn joining us for a discussion of the French classic Rafifi. We'll be back next week. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Thank you so I, much, guys. Cheers. Sorry, that Thank went longer you. than I thought. Always. I know that, like, Chris is an adult with responsibilities. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> I'm off the clock now. All good. <laughs> I, I like that. Baby's asleep. That, that's just, that, that's, that's us done for the day. Okay.